Hi, my name is Laura. I'm an emergency room nurse, and welcome back to Let's Chat Healthcare. This is a really great episode, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. In this episode, I'm speaking with Jess, the host of the That's So Chronic podcast. Jess lives in New Zealand and does an amazing job talking about healthcare in New Zealand and what the experience is like where she lives. It's really interesting and also, I think, very important important to hear about the different ways of providing healthcare, um, even all around the world. I think if we do that, we can better understand how to provide the best care and how to vote for the best policy and change. I'm so thankful to Jess for coming on and talking with us about what healthcare is like in New Zealand. And I'm excited to have her on again after the big reform. You'll learn more when you listen to the episode. And don't forget to check out Jess's podcast, the That's So Chronic podcast, for some awesome patient stories and experiences with chronic illness all around the world. Find us on social media at Let's Chat Healthcare, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to be notified when new episodes are released. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I thought it was really interesting. Hi, Jess. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. I think we should kind of start out with some introductions. Do you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm Jess. I'm from New Zealand, if you can't tell from my accent (laughs) already. Um, I am the host and the creator of a podcast called That's So Chronic, where I interview people from all around the world that are living with chronic illnesses or injuries, disabilities, basically any sort of diagnosis. And I've been doing that for just over a year now. The podcast has been running. And the reason why I was inspired to create this podcast was because I was diagnosed with MS or multiple sclerosis when I was 21 in 2014. I was in my final year of drama school. I was studying a Bachelor of Performing Arts, majoring in musical theatre, and it was so full on, and a diagnosis of MS was just not what I was expecting in my Mm. third year of that degree. And so that kind of just changed the path of my life a little bit. I still continued to work as a performer, and I'm still working as a performer today, just not in musical theatre. And it wasn't until 2019 when I was getting routine MRIs done that uh, my neurologist found a lesion on my brain and they didn't know what it was for the longest time. They still don't really know what it is, but luckily it's, it's nothing sinister. We don't think hasn't, Mm. hasn't, you know, done anything bad yet, but it was during Mm. that time when suddenly a lot of medical professionals were saying, oh my God, we've never seen this before. Uh, We've sent this to other neurologists around the world. They've never seen it before. Like we have no idea what it is. And I just thought, oh, I I can't be the only person that's, you know, living with something like this. And so Mm -hmm. I was really inspired to try and reach out and connect with some other people. And so uh, I thought, you know, we, I listened to a podcast, um, And in that, a quote from a lady called Chris, she lives with stage four breast cancer. She's been living with that for, I think it's about 12 years now. And she was being interviewed on a podcast and she said, you know, we hear all these stories of people that overcome their diagnoses, like they they get cured. 
or we hear stories of people that unfortunately pass away from their diagnosis. And that really inspired me to be like, yeah, where are the stories of people that are just living with things? Mm, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's where it all sort of eventuated and that's me. And I guess I feel, I, I woke up this morning and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to be on Laura's podcast and I feel like <laughs> such a fraud because I'm not a healthcare worker or a professional in any capacity, but I am a patient and I've been in the mm-hmm. system for a little while now. And I am also, excitingly, in my first year of my Bachelor of Health Sciences. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. so exciting. So that's a little so bit about you're me. Kind of, that, I think that your experience as a patient is going to, like wherever you go with your health science degree, like um, have such a big impact on it. But yeah, yeah. I hope so. thank you for joining me. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> you know, there's like so many places I want to go, but I I want maybe we could talk a little bit more about multiple sclerosis um, MS. My mom actually has it too, but it's such a interesting diagnosis because there's so many different representations of it, and there's so yeah. many different ways that it can present itself. Yeah. And that's the tricky thing with MS is that, you know, someone could have a hundred lesions on their brain or their spinal cord and present with no symptoms. And someone might have two lesions and suddenly present with all of the symptoms. So it is such, um, it's such a spectrum. And I think that's what makes research around the condition really hard as well, because it doesn't just present in one way. So for me, my MS uh, presents itself in a lot of uh, pain is probably one of my biggest symptoms. Mm. And so I'm on medication to try and help that symptom. I'm also, uh, my other big symptom would be like weak weakness, I guess. It's hard to, and I think that's the thing with MS, it can be really hard to explain the symptoms There can be a lot of random sensations that travel down my legs, kind of like ants under my skin. And I Mm. think that in, in, in a way sort of contributes to weakness, like feeling just a bit fatigued and feeling like my legs might just stop working or yeah, it's such a strange condition to Mm -hmm. try and explain to people how it makes me feel. Some days are worse than others. And those days I say, oh, I'm feeling a bit messy today, but Mm. yeah. Yeah, I, and I mean, this diagnosis is a perfect example of why it's so important to hear and why your podcast is so great too, because it's so important to hear about patients and their experiences. And there's so much to learn, like as a fellow patient or as a healthcare provider, because how do you learn how to treat the diagnosis without like knowing the person and realizing how different? this diagnosis is for every individual person. I mean, I think it's really awesome that you're trying to raise awareness for that because, I mean, we were kind of talking about it earlier, but there aren't a lot of places for people to just talk about their experiences of living with things. And the only ones that really make the news are if something like very dramatic, like death happens. So yeah, yeah, I think that there needs to be more places for like just conversations like this. 
Definitely. And I think on the flip side, what you're doing is awesome because when I was listening to a couple of your episodes, I thought it was really great getting to hear your perspective or the medical Mm. professional's perspective, because (laughs) I think that sometimes as a patient, we can forget that the person on the other side is a human as well and doesn't (laughs) know everything or is just trying to do their best. So it's always really Mm. awesome to hear both sides of the story. Yeah. And just to add one more thing, I think that Sometimes we learn in school, okay, for, we can use MS as an example. MS is this. This is how it presents. Mm-hmm. This is the treatment. But I, I don't really remember learning much in nursing school how different it can be for every yeah. patient. And I think that that's really something that's really important to emphasize. So Yeah. yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I am not too much of an expert even on the healthcare here in this <laughs> country. But I'd love to talk about maybe your experience in the healthcare system in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have a place you'd like to start. Well, I guess the best thing to to explain when we start talking about New Zealand's healthcare system is that it is made up of 20 different district health boards. So we have oh, a population wow. <laughs> of about 5 million people in New Zealand And yeah, we've got 20 different district health boards. And so we call them DHBs. Each DHB is governed, I think it's by about 11 board members. And they're responsible for setting like the the overall strategic direction for a lot of the, like for their district. Mm. And so what that essentially then creates around the country is a bit of a postcode lottery system. I'm not sure if you've heard of that or if you you have that there. So basically what that means is that depending on where you reside, that will determine your level of healthcare. So Oh, it's kind of like the, our schools here. Yeah, yeah. So okay. a certain DHB might have their own way of uh, their own way of treating MS, for example. Something like the medications, which I'm sure I'll get to a little bit later, that is universal around the whole country, but the practices, the way that they do it. So the best example that I can think of just off the top of my head is that I used to be in the Auckland DHB, which is in the North Island of New Zealand. And recently I've moved down to Christchurch, which is in the South Island, and that's under the Canterbury DHB. And so I'm not saying that either way is better than the other one, but when I was in Auckland and I'd received my treatment, I'm on a drug called ocrelizumab, which is a six-monthly infusion. But before that, I was on a drug called Tysabri or natalizumab, and that was a six-weekly infusion. So when I was going into the hospital, I would be receiving my infusion at neurology on the neurology ward in Auckland and so because of that you're seeing the same two nurses the same two infusion nurses every time you've got access to your medical team because you are on you know level eight neurology Mm. whereas in Christchurch I'm still receiving the same treatment and it's the same like process when the IV line gets inserted and everything but I'm on the medical day unit. So I'm with people that are getting blood transfusions or people that are getting iron infusions, people that are getting, you know, infusions for all sorts of conditions, not just MS. And so because of that, it's a bit less personal. I'm not necessarily seeing the same nurses every time because their rosters change. And I'm also not surrounded by 
patients that have the same condition with me. So I'm not connecting with people as much. And if I needed to ask some advice for what, like if something had popped up with my MS, normally in Auckland, you would be able to ask the nurses there because they're trained in MS. Whereas in Christchurch, they are seeing you know a whole bunch of people. So there's no way that they can be trained in every different condition mm-hmm. that they're seeing that day. And so that makes like that level of communication a little bit different. And so I'm still receiving the same amazing care. You know, the nurses are incredible across the whole country, but it is just that different process of how it is being administered, I guess. And that's determined by the board? Yeah. So that Mm -hmm. is sort of just the way that that DHB runs. Mm -hmm. Another example, and I'm not too familiar with this case, but I'm excited to learn more about it. I think there's just been like a TV special on one of our current affairs programs. Uh, It's that um, down south in the south of the South Island in one of the district health boards there, a lot of people are being diagnosed with bowel cancer too late because they don't have the the funding, the equipment, the resources to provide regular colonoscopies for people or the wait is so long because the colonoscopies are so booked out, you know. Whereas mm-hmm. if you were in a different district health board, you might have that might have been picked up quicker because they have more resources for colonoscopies. So that is a huge issue in New Zealand, the postcode lottery system. And mm. it is tricky because as a patient and trying to connect with other patients, that can also be hard because our lived experiences can be so different across the country. Mm-hmm. And you can sort of compare and judge and feel envious or, you know, it, it creates a whole bunch of problems. And so this, um, I think, I mean, don't quote me. I'm only still learning really about the ins and outs of everything, but I'm pretty sure that this was sort of created in in the in 2000, like early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, actually, a big health reform is happening at the moment. And from the first of July this year, 2022, we're getting a new health system, and we're abolishing the DHBs. So, oh, wow. if you're listening to this in a couple of months, you can just forget everything I just said. <laughs> Because that's not how it's going to work. Um, But it was that the public health and the disability system, it just had, the government and the, I guess, external people that do these these, uh, inquiries into the the system realized that there were some inequities. Mm. And so... I can can only think about, like, say you were genetically predisposed to something like bowel cancer... And then, I mean, you might have to move to get a different treatment, but then your family is there. So you kind of yeah. have to choose treatment or family like that. That could be yeah. really different. Sorry and to interrupt. but No, but like- exactly. And like moving for some people to a different city is just completely inaccessible. It's just not in their reality mm-hmm. to be able to do that. And so the new health system is going to be a single health service Um which means that they will be able to provide consistent and high-quality services for everybody in the country Um, because they realized that uh, they did – this was like from their website or from one of the media releases that got released. They just said that they realized that they needed to provide more consistent care and that people were slipping Mm. through the cracks. And so this is what the website says. I made a couple of notes about it. It says under the new system – 
uh, the Ministry of Health, which is like the government part of healthcare, will be focused on policy, strategy, and regulation. And then there'll be a new body called Health NZ, which will replace the 20 DHBs and take over all of the planning, the commissioning of services, and remove, they say, remove the duplication and provide national planning. So it just means that, you know, if we're talking about MS, you know, 20 different DHBs have to decide the way that they're going to treat MS, whereas this just removes all of that extra unnecessary admin and there'll just be like one person that can decide how that works. (laughs) So it'll just be rolled out across the country. I think that that sounds good if it turns out well, but also if it ends up where like everyone has to wait a long time for maybe like a colonoscopy or something like that it could be difficult yeah it (laughs) does at least the care will be equal and just exactly and I think you know equity is super important and especially with like our Maori population here in New Zealand sorry excuse me I've got something stuck in my throat that's okay (laughs) (laughs) just when I'm like on a roll I don't know why that little frog's there anyway no this is so interesting (laughs) But yeah, especially for um, equity is really important in New Zealand, especially for our Maori population, because a lot of the time there are so many inequities with um, Maori and Pacifica trying to access healthcare and slipping through the cracks. So the Mm -hmm. pandemic was a huge eye-opening moment, a huge eye-opening situation where... um, you know, our country. Is it because of their location or? No, it's just because of, I mean, it's a whole big topic. We could probably do like a whole podcast episode (laughs) on the inequities and honoring the Treaty of Waitangi and how like, you know, it's a whole big topic. But Mm. basically, essentially, long story short, people realize that there are huge inequities in the healthcare system in New Zealand and they decided to make a change. People are super skeptical of it. I'm really hopeful. I think it could be a good thing, but definitely what you said, um, there could be some challenges. But I think, yeah, the pandemic was a a massive moment because they just realized how not ready the country is to deal with something huge like that. You know what I'm thinking? You, You just said people realize that there's a problem and then they decided to make a change. You know what I feel like? we have here is that people realize that there's a problem, but we haven't gotten to the point yet where we've decided to make it. (laughs) And so then our health system is broken down into even more different parts, which I think will be the most interesting in comparison to, um, to the United States, because I think you can probably relate to the different States having different ways that they do Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And so we have public healthcare and we also have private healthcare. Mm-hmm. So you can have, have health insurance in New Zealand, which can help you uh, access the private care. So public means free and private means you have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can have health insurance, but it's not super common. So as opposed to what I know in the States, you know, when you have a job, getting health insurance that comes with your job is amazing and you know everyone's trying to look for insurance whereas here you could go your whole life and not have health insurance for example Mm -hmm. I don't have health insurance and I I never have um but what that means is that with the public system that means longer wait times because a lot more people are accessing the care in that way Mm -hmm. it also means that with private care 
you are paying, it is like a service, so you are potentially getting a higher level of care. Mm. For example, um, if you were in hospital, you're in the public hospital, you're probably in a room with four other people. Maybe if you've gotten an operation privately, you are in a room by yourself. Um, that So my neurologist here in Christchurch, she is a neurologist in the public system, but she's also a neurologist in the private system. Sometimes that can be really helpful because when I got diagnosed um, back in 2014, I essentially had optic neuritis. So I lost a lot of vision in my right eye. It was really gray. It was really blurry. I needed to see an ophthalmologist. And the optometrist who referred me, uh, the he referred me and then the ophthalmologist rang me and said, okay, we can see you in two Thursdays time at this time. And I thought, oh my God, you know, I can't see out of one of my eyes. I'm training yeah, in rehearsal. Kind of an emergency. <laughs> yeah, like I'm sure that this is kind of a big deal. So long story short, uh, I eventually was able to get a, an appointment privately and I saw someone at 8am the next day. And because I saw that neurologist privately through St. George's Hospital here in Christchurch, um, it did cost a lot of money. I think that appointment was probably like $500 or something with the test mm -hmm. was another $300. You know, you're paying for every single thing that you have mm -hmm. to get done when you're there. But because of that, and I got seen a lot quicker, he said to me, the ophthalmologist said to me, you need to get an MRI and we don't, I don't know how long that wait would be, but if you wanted to speed up this whole process, you could pay to get the MRI done privately and then you'd be in the system a lot quicker. And so luckily I am so privileged to have the support of my parents because, I mean, I was like, not only was I a student back then, but I was also a performing arts student, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> the, like the trope of like the poor actor, you know, it was really. My husband's in film too, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> and so my parents were able to support me with that. So I got an MRI. And MRIs are expensive. Yeah. I think that one was probably like $1,200 or something. Yeah. I think they're even more here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think they've gone up. Now that was back. What was that? Seven, eight years ago. Eight mm, years ago. Yeah. yeah, eight years ago. Oh wow. So they probably probably got everything's gone up. Oh my god. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Don't even get me started on petrol. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> and so then I got the MRI done privately and was able to get into the system a lot quicker. But then because I'd paid and I was in the system, I was able to transfer to public care. So then when I saw my neurologist for the first time, that was public, so I didn't have to pay moving forward for any of that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one of the ways that the system can work in your favor. Um, but also that makes it uh, inequitable because a lot of people aren't in that position where they're able to pay for private mm -hmm. care. You know, if I wasn't able to do that, I would have had to wait two weeks to see an ophthalmologist. Then I might've had to wait three months to get an MRI. Then I, mm -hmm. you know, wasn't in the system. Then I had to see another month wait or another two months wait to see a neurologist and, and then we have a whole other part of the health system <laughs> just to make things even more complicated. But this next part actually makes things a little bit easier for us here in New Zealand. We also have ACC, which is the Accident Compensation Corporation. And what that means... That sounds like a nice corporation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what that means is that accidents are completely covered here in New Zealand. 
even if you're a visitor, even if you're from another country and you're visiting New Zealand and you break your arm, which actually happened to my partner. He's from Sweden. And when he was here many, many years ago, he broke his arm and yeah, it was completely free for him. Oh, Whereas wow. when you're a visitor or a tourist um, or, or a, a, the best way to describe it is if you're on a visa in New Zealand that is less than two years, 24 months, you're not covered under the public health system. So you have to pay international fees mm. for things. We've Whereas, definitely had international patients in our emergency room and it's such like a scramble to try to figure out yeah. if their insurance covers us and wow, that's really awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, but accidents are completely covered. And so the best story that I can think of in terms of ACC, I haven't actually had um, a lot to do with ACC in my life. And that's um, good. <laughs> yeah. T- touches all the wood. <laughs> um But when I was at drama school and there was all these strange things happening to my body because I actually had MS and nobody knew Mm -hmm. and uh, I had a lot of balance issues in a dance class and I was losing feeling in one of my legs. And so I was in a dance class and I did like a grand jeté or something, like a split leap. And uh, when I landed on the ground, I just like completely fell over. And I mean, I'm like, possibly uncoordinated but not that uncoordinated (laughs) and it just kept happening and it was so strange and my dance teacher said I think you really need to go and like talk to a physio or talk to the doctor about it and because I was just like no I'm fine like it's fine (laughs) yeah (laughs) but because I was a student at the time I didn't have a doctor that I was regularly seeing I didn't have a relationship with anyone I'd moved out of home I'd moved cities I didn't have Mm -hmm. like a family doctor or anything and so I just went to the cheapest GP that I could find. And because of that, um, I didn't have a relationship with the person. They didn't understand what I was doing or what I was studying. And they saw me, a 19, 20-year-old girl that was, you know, saying that this weird thing was happening. But clinically, I wasn't presenting with any symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, it was sort of made out to be that I was making it up or that it was all in my head, that I was stressed or that I had anxiety and that's what was happening. I was Um, thinking if you came into the ER, I would think like dehydration, you're not drinking enough. Yeah. And so I was sort of sent away. Um, But then when I went Mm -hmm. back to drama school, my dance teacher said, there is a 100% something has changed. Like something is happening for you. I think you need to go and talk to someone. So there was a physio that we were able to access um, for a bit cheaper because we were students at this um, at this institution. And so I went to see the physio and I remember filling out the form and I don't know if it was the physio or the receptionist that said to me, or it was even my dance teacher, you know, someone along the process was like, did you hear a snap when you were dancing? And I'm like, no, I mean, it, this has sort of just been carrying on for a few weeks now and they were like no did you hear something snap when you were dancing wink wink (laughs) and I'm like maybe (laughs) and so essentially you know if you could make it out to be an accident there was a snap I heard something happen um it was a one-time event you know that's why I need to see physio now then it would be covered under ACC and I wouldn't have to pay oh interesting (laughs) (laughs) which is amazing that that got covered under ACC you know for physio sessions or whatever and 
to finish that story, I got, I took some magnesium and I got better, which is what happens with MS. You relapse and then you get better. Yeah. So I still didn't have a diagnosis by that stage, even though looking back, I'm like, oh, 100%, that was an MS relapse. But Mm. with that, with the ACC thing, you know, that also causes some problems because I did lie there. It wasn't an accident. Whereas now on all of my medical records, it looks as though that was an accident. And so that, you know, can also cause some problems of people trying to get free care and Mm. actually not really giving like the truthful information. But Mm. ACC is amazing for people that have accidents. However, there is a bit of a issue and I'm, I'm not very schooled on this where ACC doesn't necessarily cover people that might have pre-existing conditions or disabilities. And so, it does feel a little bit unfair sometimes that somebody who, you know, has had cancer and might have had to have had their leg amputated, perhaps they can't access the same level of support and care as someone who's got their leg in a cast and has broken it, you know. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting, but that's like another part of the health system. So we've got, at the moment, we've got 20 DHBs that decide all of the policies and all of the regulation and all of the way strategic planning then we've got public versus private care which means completely free and perhaps longer wait times or private and a bit quicker into the hospital system and a bit more luxurious Mm -hmm. but you have to pay or use your insurance and then we've got accidents which are completely free and covered no matter who you are as long as you're in this country (laughs) I think that sounds like a really beautiful summary but also I'm thinking it really sounds like the healthcare system is made for the people there. Like, it sounds like, hey, do you think they might need this? Let's try this. And even though it's obviously not perfect, it really mm-hmm. sounds like it's made for the people, which that's what healthcare is. So <laughs> yeah. What do you feel about the, um, and I know you've been in the healthcare system a lot. What do you feel about the culture there? Like, like, do you feel like the nurses are stressed a lot or do you feel like they're able to take time and be with you? Because I know here and um, just like hearing and talking with more patients on the podcast, it's really obvious like how overworked the system is. So I don't know, like, what do you think, what do you feel like it is there? Yeah, it's definitely overworked here as well. There's um, a lot of strikes that happen with the medical system. A lot of nurses or midwives go on strike for better, Mm. fairer pay conditions and also better working conditions. Mm. Um, I think nurses are amazing and they (laughs) always, you know, care so much about their patients but it is definitely overworked um there are just so many patients all the time and yeah sometimes you can sort of slip through the cracks a little bit I think for me personally the biggest um issue that I've faced with the medical system here in New Zealand is just the lack of communication a lot of your Mm. medical team are untouchable there's just no way to communicate with them It's such a long wait time to go and see your specialist. Um, And because of that, you know, you can slip through the cracks. We, I can only speak to myself in terms of having MS and having to deal with neurology. But for me, a lot of the care is through my GP um, as opposed to my specialists, which can be a little bit different. Which is interesting, yeah, because they're not necessarily, like they kind of have a wide 
range yeah. of everything <laughs> but not necessarily specialize. Exactly. And so, yeah, that's just because the wait is just so long to see a specialist. And when I've been interviewing patients from around the world, I've noticed that a lot of people have a bit more of a relationship with their specialist and they're able to mm-hmm. go and see them and actually talk about things. Whereas, yeah, I if I'm lucky, I'll get to see my specialist once every 12 months. Oh, wow. But even then, they're not even doing that anymore because there aren't enough neurologists in the district health board that I live in. Um, mm. So... I heard recently that they might not even be doing that. It might not even be every 12 months. It might be every two years. So oh, wow. you definitely see the specialist. Yeah. So you're definitely um, having to establish a bit more of a relationship with your GP. But of course, it's exactly what I said at the beginning about the postcode lottery, because that's just the situation here um, in the CDHB where I live. But in other DHBs, you know, there might not be that many people living with a neurological condition. So the neurologists might not be overrun or there might be 10 neurologists as opposed to two or, Mm. you know, it's just so different depending on, on where you live, which makes talking about it really difficult, I guess. Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know. I just, I think it's really awesome that you guys were able to recognize that that's a problem and just try something new. So, Hmm. There was another thing that I thought that I should mention when we're talking about the New Zealand healthcare system. It's a bit of a tangent, but we also <laughs> have a uh, a department or a governing body called Pharmac. Now, I would have to Google and see what Pharmac stands for, but essentially it's P H A R M A C. Okay, I'm Googling it as well. <laughs> <laughs> so that's um, our drug buying company. When you Google them, it says improving access to medicines for all New Zealanders. Like the people on the homepage look so happy. To yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so Pharmac um, are an interesting organization because they are the people that are in charge of what medications New Zealanders have access to. They are always in the news because, you know, they'll never be able to please everybody. However, they are not pleasing that many people. (laughs) (laughs) And so the way that they work is that they, oh, this is interesting. I just clicked on their about page and it said, New Zealand is the only country with a government agency like Pharmac. Yeah, I've never heard of something like this. Pharmac is the only agency in the world that both decides what medicines to fund and manages a fixed budget for those medicines. Wow, the CEO of this place has a lot of power. (laughs) Yeah, so Pharmac doesn't approve the medications, but they help allocate all of the funding and decide where where it can be distributed. So we also have MedSafe, which I think would probably be similar to like FDA approval in the States. Mm. So MedSafe is like approving that this drug is safe for consumption and then Pharmac decide whether they're going to fund it and bring it here. So because of that, a lot of treatments, again, just speaking in my own reality with MS, a lot of treatments that are available overseas aren't available in New Zealand because they're not funded. And so when I got diagnosed in 2014, I was so incredibly lucky that in November 2014, two new MS treatments got funded. 
They had existed for many, many years overseas, but New Zealand didn't have them approved. Because of that, I was able to start on Taisabri, which is amazing. However, when I was on Taisabri, six weekly infusions, I was desperate to go on Ocrevus, which I'm on now because it's a six monthly treatment. I've been traveling the world full time, had my stuff in storage, you know, coming back to Auckland Hospital to get an infusion every six weeks was really frustrating. Doable, but, you know, it took a lot of admin. (laughs) And so being on a six monthly infusion would be life changing for me. But it wasn't available in New Zealand. It was available in Australia. It was available in America. And actually, with that specific example, there's an episode on That's So Chronic with um, a person called Anu, and she actually traveled to the States, to the, to the USA, from New Zealand every six months to get her oh, infusion of Ocrevus because it wasn't available to be, it wasn't available here. Mm-hmm. And then that eventually got funded in October 2019, I think. Yeah, 2019 is when Ocrevus became available. Yeah. And so because of that, you know, with cystic fibrosis, there's an amazing drug, there's an amazing treatment that really improves the lives of people living with that condition. It's just been funded in Australia and there's so many petitions to try and get it funded here in New Zealand, but it just hasn't been. There is also the possibility that Pharmac has the drug in the country and it's just not funded, which means that you can access that treatment or that drug privately and you can pay for it. And so, yeah, Pharmac gets a lot of slack because they're not the best. I don't, I know, them pers- I don't know them personally, though, but <laughs> <laughs> they're not the best. But, but they are also constricted by the amount of funding that the government gives them every year. So... Mm. It's a whole big thing, and I'm really excited with my new degree that I'm doing to learn a little bit more about everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was also wondering about the the mental health system there. Do you know anything about that? Oh, my goodness. That is also <laughs> a whole other thing. <laughs> that is also severely understaffed and underfunded, mm-hmm. and there are major issues. I think – I don't know the quote – or the stat off the top of my head, but New Zealand has one of the worst rates for suicide in the OECD or whatever. Um, We have a major, major, major problem. And hopefully with, um, you know, this new health system, hopefully that there'll be some more support for people, but I'm not too sure. Yeah. I think I have summarized all of the different parts of the New Zealand healthcare system that I can think of. And it just feels so funny to me that everything's going to change in July and we have absolutely no idea what that's going to look like. So maybe we can check back in. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking that we should do this again to see. Maybe we can can learn from you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I can be your New Zealand correspondent. (laughs) I would love to do that. And maybe you can inspire us to actually make some change. Yeah. Who knows? I already feel like um, sometimes you don't know what to change or where to go, but you know you just want something different. And I think it's really awesome that you guys are doing this. And yeah. Yeah. I feel very fortunate to live in New Zealand. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you talking to me. And yeah. I would love to have you on again soon. Amazing. Thank you so much, Laura. I've loved this.
Thank you so much to Jess for coming on and sharing her experience with us and her knowledge about the healthcare system in New Zealand. She definitely has to come back on and talk to us a few months after she's been in the new system. Personally, I learned so much from Jess and I love talking to her and she had some really great things to say. And I think that it's just really important to be able to hear about other experiences in healthcare. Again, don't forget to check out Jess's podcast, the That's So Chronic podcast. And you can find us on social media at Let's Chat Healthcare. This is Laura, and I'll see you next time on Let's Chat Healthcare.